Well, thank you so much for your welcome and uh, for your prayers for us. Um, just to make clear that in terms of our new congregation at Westbury, I should have made this clearer, uh, we're not looking immediately to establish a new church, but it will be part of Martin Church, but a second congregation, but who knows how the Lord will will lead as we go on. But um, thank you so much for your prayers, and be assured that we do pray for you um, here at Kenworth. Very encouraging, the way the Lord has caused you to grow, and you've already had to move into different premises. That's very encouraging. Well, um, it's been an interesting weekend, hasn't it? Um, quite a journey. Fifty years ago, first man on the moon. I, I was trying to think how old I was then. I won't tell you, but um, I was a boy, and I think we had a television, I think. I'm pretty sure I did see that. But uh, some of you, for you, the, the memory might be vivid of actually witnessing that on the television screen. But quite a remarkable journey, isn't it? I, uh, I think that uh, it was round about the round trip, about 480,000 miles. And when you think of the accuracy involved, phenomenal journey. But I think for all of us, our lives these days are made up of many journeys, aren't they? Perhaps more than ever before, loads of journeys. So sometimes um, we have pleasant journeys, picture there. I I don't know how many of you cycle. I'm sure some of you are into cycling. There's some beautiful cycle paths in this part of the world and it can be extremely pleasant in the summertime to get on your bike and uh, be cycling along through the trees and so forth. A very pleasant journey. Of course, not all journeys are pleasant. You may be more familiar with the frustrating journey. Um, I'm thinking particularly of some of you who may commute to work uh, I have to say, I was on holiday a couple of weeks ago, and being a Friday to Friday let necessitated being on the M25 on two Fridays. What a nightmare that is, I have to say. Dreadful. So a frustrating journey. I think we can probably all think perhaps of those times. Sometimes, of course, the journeys are demanding. I wouldn't like to think I'm a fitness fanatic, so... Uh, but I have occasionally done a bit of trekking. Uh, a few years back, quite a few years back, I was in Nepal. We have links with a church in Nepal and was doing some uh, trekking with others in the foothills of the Annapurna mountain range. And uh, I recall on one account, you, you know, get sinking feelings. You see these steps in the side of the mountains going up and up and up and up and up. You know, demanding hard work. So I guess we're all familiar with all sorts of journeys. Well, we're going to read now a psalm, which I think probably was originally written very much with a journey in mind. So let's turn to Psalm 121. You'll find it, if you're using the uh, Pew Bibles, is that what you call them, Pew Bibles, that sounds good, uh, nine, page 622, but I've got the passage on the screen as well. So let's read Psalm 121 together. So... Psalmist writes, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? <laughs> my help comes from the Lord, the Lord, who, the maker of heaven and earth, he will not let your foot slip. 
He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forever. Evermore. You can see I'm slipping into different versions sometimes. I know this psalm perhaps from a different version as some of you do. Isn't this a beautiful psalm? It's one of my favourites. I think, Marco, you said it's one of your favourites. This is a great psalm. And uh, when Marco invited me to come and speak and perhaps share a psalm, it, this one immediately came to mind. It's a very precious psalm. But I think it does, perhaps think it particularly highlights the idea of a journey. Just have a look uh, through the verses with me for, for a few moments. Look first at um, <clears throat> verse 3. This phrase about the foot slipping. And if you think about the sort of terrain in the ancient Middle East and journeying across that terrain, this would be a very relevant thought. The idea of the foot slipping, maybe the ankle turning over, maybe slipping on some loose scree and the dangers inherent in that. Treacherous pathways. So I think the psalm has in mind perhaps a journey with potential dangers along the way. And if you look down to verse 6, we have the extremes of climate mentioned. The idea of the sun, the blazing sun, the possibility of dehydration or sunstroke. And then as you read on through the psalm, you get a phrase in uh, verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all harm. And it may well be, that the psalm is envisaging the real danger of bandits or maybe wild animals across difficult terrain. As I say, we don't know the original context of the psalm, but I think it probably envisages a journey. But as we look at the heading of the psalm, just notice there it describes it as a song of ascents. As the psalms were gathered together, put together into these books for the ancient people of God. Fifteen were brought together and all are given this title, a song of ascents. And it's thought that these psalms were sung at the great pilgrimages of the people up to Jerusalem. Up to Jerusalem. Three times a year, the men particularly were called to appear before God at Jerusalem. Deuteronomy 16 describes these occasions, the festival of unleavened bread, the whole Passover, that period. There was the festival of weeks, which culminated in Pentecost, and the festival of tabernacles. At those key points, many people were called to make their way to Jerusalem. It explains, incidentally, the crowds that were in Jerusalem at the time of our Lord's crucifixion. It was that key time of Passover, that the population of Jerusalem was swollen with many pilgrims. Similarly, on the day of Pentecost, again, we know that narrative, 
These were occasions where many, many people had travelled to Jerusalem, key times in the Jewish calendar. And so I suspect this psalm here, along with others, was used, was sung perhaps by pilgrims, making their way at God's behest to Jerusalem, to appear there for these great feasts. And maybe we can imagine the Judean countryside as pilgrims were approaching the city, singing together. If you like, the hills are alive with the sound of music. That sort of, uh, not that I've ever seen the um, film, but anyway. A journey to Jerusalem. And I think if that's the case, this makes this psalm very pertinent for us. Because we too are pilgrims. We too are making our way, not to the earthly Jerusalem, but to the new Jerusalem, where we will appear before God, our great God, in the world to come. New creation. And as we, as God's pilgrim people, are making our way to the new Jerusalem, our journey is filled with all sorts of hazards and difficulties. And I think this psalm gives great reassurance to pilgrims in that particular situation. So let me just highlight three very simple things from the psalm, nothing profound, but just as a means of encouraging us today as we are making our way to that great eternal city, the New Jerusalem, which these first pilgrims way back in Israel's history, these great themes they would have taken up. The first thing is this great, very simple truth. It is this, that the Lord watches over us. You can't miss this as the key to the whole psalm, can you? This idea of watching, God watching. Some of you, I don't know how many of you are teachers. Anybody teachers here? One or two? You will know the value of repetition when you're trying to instruct, I guess even now, um, teaching children. There's that need to keep repeating things to drive home the lesson and get it firmly embedded in the mind. Well, here, the psalmist, the psalm is repeating the same lesson over and over again so that we cannot possibly miss it. Just look through this idea of God watching over his people, God keeping them. The same expression six times in this very short psalm. Verse 3. Uh, He who watches over you. Verse 4. He who watches over Israel. Verse 5. The Lord watches over you. Verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. It's the same, actually, in the original language. It's exactly the same word twice there. And finally, in verse 8, the Lord will watch over. Do you see? It's like a drumbeat running through the whole psalm. That's the major theme of the psalm, isn't it? God's great watchfulness, he will keep his people. Now, in terms of God's watching, it doesn't just mean his observation. He's looking. That's great. It's more than that. It's actually he watches, he guards, he protects That's the idea, the Lord watching over us. 
And there's two great aspects to that. The first is this, that God, God, the watchful God, is available to help us. Do you see it there? Verse 2, the psalmist is looking up to the mountains, asking this question, where's my help going to come from? It comes from where? The Lord, the Lord, the helper, and he is the one who is the maker of heaven and earth. Could you ask for someone with more ability to help you than the one who made the whole of the universe? That's a remarkable thing, isn't it? The one who watches over his people is available to help and his help is not in question because he is the one who made, who spoke from nothing, the entire heavens and earth. That's a remarkable thing. Someone's put it this way. The one who begins, maintains, controls and directs everything in his creation, every situation we face, every danger which threatens, is within his created realm. So we have a God watching over us who is available to help and he is also very near, close at hand. Look at verse 5. It describes God in verse 5, the Lord as shade at the right hand. And I'm always hesitant to say these sort of things with Christopher over there, but I understand the word can also mean shadow. So another idea, that that God is as close to you as your shadow. As you walk out these doors later, I'm trying to work out which way the sun will be shining, but you will probably see your shadow on the ground. Remember this, that God is as close to you as your shadow. He is your shade at the right hand. Here is the great watchfulness of God, helper, the one who is close to us. That in and of itself should be a remarkable comfort, shouldn't it? An amazing comfort. Here's the second great truth. That the Lord watches over us when? All the time. At all times. I mentioned earlier that I worked in a laboratory environment for many years and uh, I met with, well, I worked with a whole range of people, some more eccentric than others. One guy, mad as a hatter, um, but a lovely chap from Dudley in the black country. And uh, he worked in the sort of uh, more on the plating side of the company. Anyhow, he had to set off at some unearthly, I think it was before five o'clock in the morning, in order to get to the factory by eight, six minutes past eight we started, don't ask if you work it out, five sixes comes to half. Anyhow, it doesn't matter. We started at six minutes past eight, had to sign in. Uh, this guy, in order to get there, had to travel from Dudley. In order to get to uh, Leamington, he had to get up at some unearthly hour. Two buses were necessary to get into Birmingham. And then, of course, he had to get on a train from Birmingham to Leamington and then walk from the railway station up to the laboratory. So it's always a fairly extensive journey. One morning, I remember, I remember now the sort of his, uh, I can't think it was, but it was the, um, the chief chemist over the plating. I remember the, uh, the sort of, uh, the exclamation as the telephone message came in because, uh, this guy rang in at about, probably about half past eight 
to say he apologised, but he was actually in Banbury railway sidings. He'd actually fallen asleep on the train, not surprising yet too early. The train obviously terminated at Banbury, still he hadn't woken, and the, the coaches were then parked in the sidings at Banbury. This is, they don't do that now, but they did then. So here is this guy, as I say, supposed to be in Leamington, found himself in the, the coach sidings at Banbury. You see, weariness, inattentiveness, exhaustion is a very real threat when you're travelling, isn't it? We know that. We hear stories of people falling asleep behind the wheel of their vehicles. Exhaustion, extremely dangerous when you travel. And it was true for those way back at the time of the Psalms, people travelling across rough terrain, exhaustion and so forth. The danger of slipping in a moment of inattention. But here's the truth, that God's watchfulness is constant isn't it? Look there at verse 3. He who watches over you will not slumber. Verse 4. He who watches Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Isn't that amazing? God never needs to take a holiday. He's never off guard, never taken by surprise, Never drowsy, never losing concentration, never daydreaming. God is committed to watching over his people constantly, at every moment. That's massive, isn't it? I can't get my mind around that. That is massive. But that is what the Bible affirms. I have enough trouble staying awake sometimes when I'm doing sermon prep. Does that happen to you, Marco? Do you remember? There's a lovely uh, story in the Old Testament. I'm sure we're supposed to smile at it. Elijah, as he challenges the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Don't worry if you don't know the story, but essentially the people then are divided in their loyalties. They've been drawn away to false gods. They're not following the one true living God wholeheartedly. And Elijah, God's prophet, calls the people back, and there's this great contest on Mount Carmel. We haven't time to go into all the details, but it's there in 1 Kings 18. But we read that the prophets of these false gods called upon the Baals to consume a sacrifice, to to rain down fire from heaven. And to do that, they basically cut themselves and danced around and shouted and made such a commotion for hour after hour after hour, nothing, absolutely nothing. And we read, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's God, perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or, or travelling. Maybe he's sleeping and needs to be awakened. And many of you know what happens next. Elijah, simple prayer, and the fire of God falls and consumes the sacrifice. For the God of Elijah, the God of God's people, doesn't need to be woken up. He's not somehow drifted away somewhere, needs to be called back. He is the God who answers by fire in a moment. What a great God we serve. And because of that, of course, God is attentive to our prayers. You ever worried when you pray whether God 
will hear. Now I know the Bible talks about cherishing sin and I'm aware of all that sort of issue, but here's the thing. Aren't you reassured that God is always watchful? I mean, what would happen if suddenly you had an urgent prayer request and it was the time that God actually slept? No, our God doesn't slumber or sleep, does he? God watches over us and he watches over us at all times. What a wonderful God. Here's the third thing. The Lord watches over us in every circumstance of life. Every circumstance of life. And verses 5 to 8, I think, highlight that with a number of contrasts, which let me just highlight them to you. First of all, look at verse 6. Do you see this contrast of day and night? It's saying that the sun won't harm you by day, nor the moon by night. It's another way of saying God is always there. Some have, incidentally, the, the whole reference to the moon there, some certainly at that period thought that exposure to the intense rays of the moon could bring about a madness, sort of moonstruck. We have the word lunatic in our vocabulary that comes from, from that very thing. And someone said this, it's really wonderful, they said that actually this psalm is saying there are protections from dangers that are real, sunstroke, and dangers that are imagined, moonstroke. Um, God is so great. Every circumstance of life he is watching by day and by night. Verse 8, in all our coming and going, coming and going, Interestingly, those words are found way back in the book of Deuteronomy in the 28th chapter. The 28th chapter describes the blessings of obeying God and curses for those who disobey God. Now, please hear me out. The blessings described in Deuteronomy for obedience to God do not translate into the New Testament. But basically, God said that if the people would obey him, there would come all sorts of blessings. The fruit of your womb will be blessed, says God. The crops of your land, the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds, the lambs of your flocks, your basket, your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. There's that expression. And it seems to be saying that in every aspect of daily life, the daily rhythms of life, all that is encompassed by God's great watchfulness. As you go out to the fields, in Deuteronomy, when you go out to the fields in the morning, when you return in the evening, God is there. And that thought is captured in this psalm of God's watchfulness in every circumstance. And for us, whether it's our work or our recreation, whether that's commuting to work or our returning home, God is still there watching over us. And then right at the end of the psalm, he watches over us both now and forever. I mean, you couldn't ask for anything more. As I say, we don't know the context of the original psalm. I say it was gathered up into these songs of ascents, which I think became pilgrim psalms. And the people then were reminding themselves of the God they worshipped. And we too can be comforted by the very same truths, for we serve the very same God. Now let me bring to you 
one or two points from this. First of all, this psalm is not saying that we have a trouble-free life. We do not have a trouble-free life. But what it does assure us of is God's commitment to bring us through to the new Jerusalem, to the new creation. Great hymn of uh, John Newton's, Amazing Grace. I think it's the second verse. Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. That's the truth. Dangers, yes. Toil, yes. Snares, yes. Think of that maybe mountainous path, the ravines, the loose rock, the blazing sun, the darkness of night and not being quite sure where you are, the danger of bandits in the hills, wild animals prowling around. Yes, but God is committed to watch over us. Through many dangers, tools and snares I have already come. It is grace that brought me safe thus far. Grace will lead me home. Look for a minute at verses 1 and 2. What tense does the psalm? I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And then do you notice a change at verse 3? Change of tense. He, sorry, the change of person. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber and so forth. There's a transition from verses 2 to verse 3. And some have surmised that actually what is happening here, it's almost recording, the psalm is recording like a, a dialogue. So the first person is saying, I'm looking to the hills, where's my help going to come from? And the reply comes back, he won't let your foot slip. He who watches over you doesn't slumber or sleep. Now that may or may not be right, but if it's right, there's a wonderful truth there. This, this idea of all of us needing the encouragement of others to, if you like, affirm what is right and to challenge our doubts and fears. The context of mutual encouragement, as these pilgrims made their way to Jerusalem, no doubt encouraged by others making the same journey. So I asked this question, actually, as I asked myself, with six weeks break over the summer, I don't know, do you, your small groups continue to meet over the summer? No, nor do ours. Um, how... How is it, are we going to keep encouraging one another? As I say, as we face difficulties, where's my help going to come from? How are we going to continue to encourage each other? Your help? You've got a helper. He's watching. He's never off duty. He can, he's close to you. How are we going to manage that? How are we going to do that? I'll leave that for you to think about. Because I think this psalm, along with the whole of the Bible, teaches that we, we, we live in community. The New Testament, who was it? Someone was giving the reasons for small groups and read from the Hebrews where it talks about don't neglect to meet together. We need encouragement like this. We need that reassurance. So think about that over these next weeks where we're perhaps more vulnerable. How are we going to help one another in our ongoing pilgrimage because rest assured, the difficulties don't suddenly disappear in the month of August, do they?
I want to say one key thing at the end of this, and it's, the, it's perhaps the most important thing. The promises in this psalm are not indiscriminate. That is, these promises are for the people of God. That is important. It may be you're here today and you're not a Christian believer. If that's so, then you cannot just take up this psalm and say, mine, because the psalm is speaking of the care, the watchfulness of a God for his people, for his people. How is it that we, God's people, can enjoy this great watchfulness of God, this keeping power of God. Well, it's this. It's that upon a cross, long ago, Jesus died, and as he hung upon a cross, what happened? The one who had enjoyed the fellowship of the Father, the one who had always known the keeping presence of his Father, the one who knew a Father watching over him, Every moment, what happened on the cross? Alienation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here's the wonder. We as God's people enjoy the constant watchfulness of God because he knew what it was to have the Father turn his face away, as it says in that great song of Stuart Turner. Do you see We live in this privileged position now as God's people because of the one who knew what it was to be abandoned for that moment on the cross, to feel that alienation, that somehow no longer the felt presence, watchfulness of God. And because of that, and because he there endured God's wrath for us and took our sins, we now are assured of the blessing of God's watchfulness over us constantly. Tremendous blessing. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, these promises in this psalm, I say this as kind as I can, they're not your promises. They're not. They're actually given to the people of God. But if you're not a Christian, wouldn't you like to have someone like this, a God who watches over you constantly, one who is there to help, one who is closer than a shadow, wouldn't you want that? You need to come to the Saviour, Jesus Christ, who knew what it was on the cross to sense abandonment and alienation in order that we might know God's watchfulness every moment of our lives. It's a great psalm. Great psalm. Plenty more there to think about. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a wonderful God. Thank you that we can be assured that as we make our journey to the new Jerusalem, we can take up these words of pilgrims from so long ago and make them ours For you are the same God. You're a God who does not slumber or sleep. You're a God who watches over your people, the new Israel. Thank you that 
we can be assured that our prayers can be directed to you at any moment. Thank you that we can be assured of your care for us, the maker of heaven and earth. Thank you that whatever we are doing, whether working or resting, whatever time of the day, thank you. You're a God who keeps your people. And Father, we need to hear this over and over again. Help us to encourage one another. When, as it were, the cry goes up from one of our lips, where does my help come from? The refrain may arise. Your help comes from the Lord, the one who never slumbers or sleeps. Help us encourage one another through this summer period, we pray.